The Bible was written one time for one people. You understand? That when Peter would write his epistle to those uh, churches that were in Asia Minor that were going through difficulties, they were certainly going through persecutions and, and other difficulties. Life has difficulties in it, regardless of if you, ha- you don't have to have persecution in order to have difficulties. And so he wrote it to a very specific people at a very specific time. But the Bible is also written for all people for all time. It's written for us. Now, we look at that and we sometimes say, how do you, how do, you do that? Well, we look at the principles that are put in the scriptures. Now, here's the problem that we can get into. If we start taking the principles that are there and start making them into laws. Let me give you an example. It says uh, when uh, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was writing to Timothy, he told them that, you know, the women shouldn't be wearing, uh, you know, gold and, and they, shouldn't have the, they shouldn't cut their hair. Now, when you look at that, you make that into a law and then you're going to have to have every woman not wear uh, any gold or can't wear any rings or any of that kind of stuff, can't cut their hair. And, and, and there's some people that are like that. And I don't want to throw any rocks at those people. But the principle is there is not to be showy. And when we apply it, we understand it is about not having a showiness about us. So what we can do sometimes is, is that we can make things into a principle that really is something that we really need to do too. The other side of it is, is that when we say, well, we don't need to do that, what we can do is something that is slightly less than that or or something like that. Now understand, there are things in the Bible that are absolutely just as true as when they're said in, you know, at the beginning. One of those is, is that Jesus is the only way to salvation. That's just it. Uh, we don't come through it and say, okay, well, Jesus is a way. He is a way. He is a truth, you know. Uh, we say that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not one of those. He's not just a, one of those in a group. And I think that there are plenty of people, especially in, in, in other groups, that th- what they're doing is, is that they're watering that down and they're saying, you know what, Jesus is just a way. And what we're saying is we don't want to criticize any other group. And I don't want to criticize any other group either. But there's some things that are just what they are. They're exactly what they are. Now, what I'm going to read to you here today may hit some of you the wrong way. In fact, I don't even think some of you are going to like what I'm going to say today, but it's coming straight out of the scripture. Uh, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, and I'll just start with 18. It says, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. Now, first I've got to jump into the translation here and and, 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 and let you know what the principle is here. The principle is that a Christian worker, somebody that's an employee or, or works, submits with all respect to the boss, even if the boss treats him harshly. And you're going to look at that. And you're going to say, yeah, but it said slaves. Well, I, you know, I do my own translations of all of these verses. And the word is not slave. <laughs> I'll tell you up front. It's not slave. It's not the word doulos. It's not the word servant. That's diakonos. You know what a deacon is. Okay. It's a word oikotos. Oikotos. Oikos means house. Oikotes, taste, I should say oikotes. Oikotes means household servant. 
Understand, there's, this is what it actually means. That's, word, that's a word for word. Some of the translations, I found that some of them would say that. The NIV didn't do that. The NIV used the word slaves. Now, understand, some of these household servants were employed. They had a job. They got paid. Understand that. That's what they did. They worked in the house. They got paid. Some of them were bond servants. Bond servants meaning that they're working off a debt. They're there for a period of time, and then they're working off a debt. And then there were others who were slaves. So you can't really just say that the word is slaves here. But the household servants, even the ones that were slaves, were typically treated so well that you couldn't tell them the difference between them and free men. Understand. Uh, Seneca, the uh, philosopher statesman of the Romans, he proposed a bill in the Roman Senate that the slaves had to wear something that would distinguish them from the free people. In other words, they were so well kept that they, and, and you know, in other words, their, their, their way they dressed and their, their amount that they ate and uh, all of that was so well done that they were He wanted to have some kind of distinguishing mark between the two. So when Peter writes this to these these churches, these churches that are in Asia Minor, going through a difficult time, that the very fact that he would write this, remember, at a specific time to a specific people, there must have been a reasonable number of household servants in those churches. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't, you don't write a letter to somebody and say, you know, uh, I'm going to write this to you, but you don't have that problem or you don't, you don't have any uh, contact. Or there's no context for you in this. So there had to be a large number of those people who were household servants. And in that process of things going badly, some of those would have been slaves and are the bond servants as much. And even possibly even those people who had, who had uh, there were free people, that they were simply, they were treated very harshly. But here's what happens, what he's saying here. The Christian is to put himself under the authority of the employer while he is employed. Now hear this. There's two kinds of employees you don't need. You know what they are? The one that won't do what you tell them to do. And the one that only does what you tell them to do. Those are the two kinds of employees that you don't need. And so when the Christian put himself under the authority, he was not to be either one of those two. Just only the ones that did that. The Christian will act with all respect toward his employer. The word there is the word phobos. Phobos, we get phobia from. And phobia, you know, you understand that the situation is, is that that would mean fear. But I think that in this context that uh, the NIV got it right. I think it is respect in this. I, I believe that when a person has a job, and this is just maybe this my own philosophy here. When a person has a job, that person is an independent um, commodity trader. Here's what the commodity is. You, com- you trade your skill, your knowledge, your time, your whatever it is, your energy to accomplish that job. You go and you sell that to an employer. And this is the way that it really ought to be seen. And so that the employer is the customer of the person who is selling this commodity. 
And I don't think people look at things this way. I think this is the way we ought to look at it. And the employee has the right to sell the commodity that he has or she has at the price that they think that they should get for it. And in that process, that means that they may decide that they need to go up on the price and then no longer have that, that person as their, as their customer, which is the employer. Or the customer, the, the, the employer, might determine they don't need that, that product anymore. And so they, they, this is the way I look, I think that the way we need to see it. We do not need to see ourselves simply at the mercy of the people that we work for. We should see ourselves as traitors in this. We're trading something here. Now, there is no Christian witness when the employee refuses to respect the employer. This is just the way that it really is. When we as Christians will not respect that, that employer, may choose not to do business with them anymore. I got that. But not to, when we choose not to respect them, there is no Christian witness there that is there. And that's irrespective of whether that employer is kind or harsh. Instead of being a bad employee, a Christian ought to go find a new customer. Do you understand what I'm saying? Go find a new employer rather than do that. Maybe the Christian slave nor maybe the Christian bondservant could do this. And it is here that Christianity takes notice. So faithful service to a cruel master stands out. When somebody's treating you badly and you don't respond badly then that stands out. Now, in this, this word here for the master, the master's had absolute rule. The Greek word for that is despotes. <laughs> we get the word despot from it. You got that? That's where the word comes from. It's a master. And so you, many of you may think that your bosses uh, think that of your bosses in the way that they treat people. You mean they're, 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 they rule the world or they think they rule the world in this. And some of the, uh, you may be in such a unique situation that you can't leave. You can't, I mean, in other words, if you're an underwater welder and you want to live in Kansas, you're going to have a hard time finding a job. You understand what I'm trying to say? You can't necessarily leave what you've got in order to do something else. So you may be in a unique situation. See, Christian testimony fails to stand out when the Christian does what the rest of the world does. You know what the rest of the world is doing now? I mean, I'm reading this on the internet. I don't know any of these people. They're doing something called quiet quitting. I don't know if you heard about this. You know what quiet quitting is? You do the absolute minimum. Not that much more. You're going to do the absolute minimum. Now think about that. What is that doing? Just I'm doing just exactly what the employer told me. Nothing more than that whatsoever. You know, and then there's others. This is another thing I found out. They're doing what's called slow starting. You know what slow starting is? It's quiet quitting on Mondays. (laughs) That's what it is. It's quiet quitting on Mondays. And they're talking about this sort of thing that is going on in the workplace today. Christians cannot do that. That is not 
appropriate. We cannot stand out. We cannot have a witness when we act just like the world does. Many are playing what is known as the army game. As I've said before, they do exactly what the employer says and not one bit more than what the employer says. They're playing army game in this. Let's go on to the next couple of verses here. Verses 19 and 20. Okay, chapter 2, 19 20. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. What it's saying here, Christians serve faithfully because they are conscious of God. They are very conscious of God. You see, the word translated mindful is a Greek word that means conscious. And so it is not the, it's not conscience, it's conscious. You see, when I, I say something, sometimes, I know that I said the wrong thing as soon as I said it. You ever done that? That's my conscience bothering me. When I said something to somebody that I shouldn't have said to that person, and maybe I said it in meanness. Uh, let me tell you, I was so mindful of this, this message uh, this week. I mean, I, I know what I was going to do and I, all of that. I know what the, the conclusion of this whole thing is. That when I come up to, I mean, I'm riding my bicycle home one day this week. And, you know, you come up to a stop sign. You know how it is. You, you come up and there's a stop sign there. You're, you're riding on, a, I'm riding on the sidewalk. So I'm coming across and there's a stop sign. The guy stops, you know. And, you know, what you want to do is you want to go across. You know, you're just, you know, they can't go because, you know, this is independence. And they're out there with independence uh, and it's the traffic is going like crazy. So what does the guy do? He comes up and there's my crosswalk, you know, that I can come in. He pulls his, he sees me and then pulls his car up to block the crosswalk. Now, I wasn't all that conscious about God at that moment. Um, I may have called him a jerk. I don't know. But anyway, I didn't, shouldn't have. But my point here is you need to be conscious. You need to be conscious of God and what is going on. This is a volitional consciousness. You've got to, I mean, your mind is just not going to simply say, I'm going to be conscious of God. And then we don't even think about it. You have to be conscious of God in the way that we act. And I, we need to keep ourselves aware so that we can please God. Or understand, this is, the, it even says this in the scripture. We are earning rewards from God that will be cashed in at our judgment. We're going to be, we're earning rewards. And there is no reward for acting vengefully to our bosses or anybody else that is out there for, you know, if somebody's harsh to us. And so the, we've, we must realize that there's only one person that we really need to please, and that is God. Not everybody in the world, but God. And giving grace to others is an act coming from the grace that God has given to us. Now, you know the story in the Bible about the, you know, the master goes away. It's a parable. Master goes away and he gives one five talents and he gives one two talents and he gives one one talent. Understand, a talent was equal to one year's wages. That was a lot of money, wasn't it? 
Think about that. He gives you five talents. That's five years of wages. He gives one two talents. That's two years of wages. He gives one one talent. Now, what, what did he expect? What did that, employee, that uh, master expect for them to do? They were to bring that back. They were to bring that back. You know, God takes the things that he gives to us and he expects us to bring that back with an investment in this. And what happened to those people? Well, what happened to ones that, that did the, the five talents? It says, the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Do you understand what's going on here? You've been given something here. You have not only just simply returned it, you have returned it with, with, uh, with uh, not just interest, but with a, a return that, from it. And so what happens is, is that there comes a day when we will be gathered at, you know, when Christ returns, and it was what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 10, it's for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one will receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So here's what happens. God has given us grace. Hear this. We've gotten grace. How much grace? Uh, Don't say more than you deserve because you didn't deserve any of it. Understand that? A lot of grace. Well, how are you going to return that? By giving grace to others. There should be others out there that are receiving that grace and giving that grace out there. And so in verse 21, let me continue on here. Get this in here. Verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. You were called to give grace when you received grace. Now, the word there is the word called out. You've been called out. In other words, you were in one group and now you've been called out to be in another group. You were in the world group that said that, that uh, the meaning in life is all about having the physical pleasures and having all the possessions in the world and having everybody bow down to you. You were in that group and you were called out to be in this other group that says that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And when you came to Jesus, you probably weren't told all the stuff that you needed to do. You didn't work, probably weren't told all the things that, that, was, that was necessary in order for you to, to follow Christ. Maybe you were talked about baptism, but that's about it. Now, we have a few misunderstandings, especially about this scripture here. But a lot of people want to say, well, it said there, for this you've been called. Well, they go back to the suffering and they say, that's what we've been called to. We've been called to suffer. Well, understand the gospel is called good news. If I were to say to you, hey, I've got some good news. You're going to suffer. You're going to say, yay, I get to suffer, right? You wouldn't call that good news at all. So it's not about us suffering. You see... You are called to give grace if no grace has been given to you. And there's another mistake we can make. And the other mistake is when we read this scripture here, we could say, well, that's only about the workplace. That's only when you're being treated harshly by your boss. I don't really have to do that with the people that I'm around. Understand, he said, we're going to give Jesus as the example 
Jesus was not treated harshly by his employer, was he? Not at all. You see, Jesus was treated harshly by the people that were around him. There were people that had hurtful disappointments, like that rich young ruler. You know, Jesus, it says Jesus loved that guy. But you know what? He wouldn't give up what he had and come and follow Jesus. Jesus was sad about that. You know, maybe you're one of those people that have hurtful disappointments. Maybe you got a child. Maybe you got a good friend. And they're choosing to go the wrong way. And it's hurting you. And here's the thing that a lot of people want to do. They want to say, okay, I'll just cut them off. What would Jesus do? He'd give them grace. He'd give them grace. There were abandonments for Jesus. Nearly all of his disciples abandoned him. Maybe there are people that weren't there when you needed them. You know, but what are you called to do? Give them grace. Maybe they didn't call you when things went badly for you. Maybe they weren't there for you when you really, really needed them to be. But you give them grace. There was a denial that, of even knowing Jesus by Simon Peter. He even cursed and said he didn't know Jesus. Right in Jesus' presence, by the way. You can look that up. You know, maybe you're going through a divorce. Or maybe you've gone through one. And you know what? That person that said that they would be united to you until death does you part has parted. That's what has happened. And it has hurt like crazy. But what do you do? You give them grace. That's what you do. There was a betrayal for Jesus, like Judas. Maybe this one hurts the most because you understand that only a close friend can betray you. Do you understand it's not really betrayal if it's not a close friend? And so that close friend has turned against you. Maybe they did something behind your back. Maybe they made you look out, make it look like you committed the evil around. You know, but you know what you do? You give them grace. This is the example of Jesus. Hear this from me. People do not deserve grace. Not one of them. If you're waiting for them to deserve the grace that you're going to give them, you will wait forever. They do not deserve grace. Grace is by its own definition without remuneration of any sort. You do not pay back. You don't have to get paid before to get that grace. You simply give grace. That word for example is literally the word underwriting. Underwriting. Not the kind of underwriting that you find from an insurance company. That's not what it means. You see, anything significant at the day that this was written was written down. Anything that was significant was written down. And those people who were writing it down were very, very careful to get every letter in the right place. That's how careful they had to be. And so, when Jesus had all of the things that happened to him. He gave them grace, and that is the example we have. You know, it is very easy to think of Jesus' life being taken from him. It was not. He gave it away. 
He is God. You'd realize that he could have called down 10,000 angels. He could have called them down and he could have stopped that crucifixion. He could have wiped out those people that were that are trying to arrest him. It says in Psalm 91:11, "For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways." And even Satan knew this scripture right there and trying to tempt Jesus to go and jump off a pinnacle so that the, his angels would come down. And so what happens is that it, Jesus gave his life away. The Christian follows in the steps of Jesus. Now, you know, I'm taking another group to Israel in October. And I will tell you, there's some places that you can walk where Jesus walked. You can go to the teaching steps there at the, at the temple. And you can say, I know that Jesus was here. This is where he would have taught. He would have taught in this place. You can go to Caiaphas' house, and that's where his trial would have been, right out there. You can get on those steps, and, and you can walk on the steps and know that Jesus stood there while he was being tried. You can go on the old Jericho Road. The road is not only about, it's only about 10, 15 feet wide in a lot of places. You know, Jesus walked down that road. I can just about guarantee you, you put your feet somewhere that Jesus put his feet. But if you really want to walk where Jesus walked, you don't need to go to the Holy Land. You just give grace when others don't give it to you. Then you have walked where Jesus has walked. I'll tell you what you're called to do, folks. You're called to give grace. Pray with me.